Was that some very moving worship this morning? You can definitely feel God moving. I was really tempted to go up about, is that about where Kurt puts it? <laughs> then I can hide when I blush. Well, it's a, it's a privilege to be here and be able to share with you this morning. And uh, I want to tell you a little bit about me. I love old movies. I love classic movies. Um, and one of my favorite movies is a, It's a Wonderful Life. And I have probably watched that almost every year for decades. And I got to confess, I still cry at the end. <laughs> every single time, even though I know what's going to happen. But what I found is, is in, in, as a hobby, trying to study film and understand and looking at, at film, that some movies really help us to be introspective and to look inside and wrestle with something or, or we are inspired about doing something about ourselves. And when I watch that movie at the end, when all of... George Bailey's friends are coming in with their money and sacrificing all that they have to be there for him. It makes us think about just that principle of what we sow, we reap. You know? And, and as I was looking at this passage, a really obscure passage for you this morning, I realized that we have this amazing truth that is played out in this drama in the Old Testament. Um, this is like, this was make an epic movie. Um, and, and so we have these main characters. And these main characters, the first one is Absalom. Now Absalom is David's son. And he's, he's, he's David's favorite son in a sense. I mean, David loves him. And Absalom is, is one of these guys that everybody else loved him too. You know, he, he looks great. He's charming. People just love when he's around. He loves the pomp and circumstance of being in the, in the royal family. And, and oftentimes, he would go through Jerusalem in this huge, magnificent chariot with about 50 men running in front of him. So everybody always knew where Absalom was. Okay? That's, that's one of our characters. The other, one of the other characters is David. Now, David's the king, and God raised him up to be this king. We all know most of his story. But at this time in his life, David's a little older, but what he's accomplished by now has been no less than absolutely amazing because he has helped take Israel from all these tribes that have been out there and brought them together to be one. And they have become a a power in Palestine and Syria. And what David has done is when he captured Jerusalem, he brought home the Ark of the Covenant and made Jerusalem not only the political center of all of Israel, but also the spiritual center. And David very much saw that his role was to not only lead these people, but to lead them spiritually as well. And we all know that David went through quite a bit of stuff in his life where he made a lot of mistakes. And God sent him a prophet to kind of kick his fanny. And, but what happened is David, through God's grace and through God's love, 
changed his life and began to live pursuing God. Even though there were consequences for his choices, his family was very dysfunctional, okay? Pretty messed up. But David continued to pursue trying to stay on that path. Then we have this guy named Ahimaaz. Ever heard of him? I've had one person that I've asked that say, yeah, I know him. It's a little guy that shows up in the passage we're going to read, and he's been blessed with this gift of speed in running. I mean, he has this God-given gift that he is fast, and he has earned this reputation of being this runner that just is amazing. Even, even David and other people knew about this guy. Okay? So there's our characters, but what's the plot? Because it gets thick, okay? So the plot is, and this is, this is all taking place before what I'm going to read in a minute, is that David's other, one of David's other sons, Absalom's half-brother, takes and ravishes Absalom's sister. And Absalom is furious. And David kind of sweeps it under the rug. And it just sets a thing in Absalom's heart that will not go away. In fact, it is so bitter in his heart that he spends the next couple of years planning of how he's going to take care of things. And so what happens is for over the next two years, he plots this plan to invite his brother Amnon to come to this gathering and he has him murdered. And knowing that David's going to probably be pretty upset, he skips town, takes off. And for three years, Absalom is in exile until finally David says, you know what, I'm going to welcome you back home. But that was just to come back to Jerusalem. Took another two years before David allowed him to be around the family again. So five years. But in all that time, Absalom's wound and Absalom's anger continued to fester. And the minute that he was back in the royal family, he wasted no time to start to hatch his plan to take over the throne. So he starts to manipulate people and promise them things and use his charm and his good looks and, and everything to, get, to start to get people who were disenfranchised with David or, or disgruntled. And you know what? He started getting quite a following. And he kept building this. Then he started twisting truths and facts to undermine what David's authority and David's following was about. What we know is, at, at finally, at one point, he has at least about 40,000 soldiers that are following Absalom. And he starts to hatch this plan to kind of have a coup, kind of overthrow David and take the throne. Well, David gets wind of it, and he hightails it out of town. And, but what David does is he goes out, he, he leaves with those who were following, who were loyal to him, and he is pursuing of what is the next step, what is the wise step, what does God want? Well, eventually... All of Absalom's soldiers come to this one area 
that's partly forested, and David's on this other end of it, and they wait, and then David finally knows it's time. And so he sends, we, we don't know how many, but he was, you know, Absalom has 40,000 soldiers, and we think that David maybe had 4,000. And David sends his soldiers in. And it didn't take long, but his soldiers wiped out 20,000 of those soldiers. And the other 20 started running and fleeing. And there's this forest that has trees that are all tangled with branches and they're low-hanging. And a lot of them are getting caught in that. And his soldiers are able to kill a bunch more. And in the process, Absalom's kind of going, okay, this is getting messed up. So he gets on his mule. I can imagine how fast he was going here. And, he, and he's going through. Now, Absalom has this long hair, and he's running. He's going through this forest, and his, the branches get caught in his hair, and it yanks him off the mule. And he's dangling there, and he can't get himself out. And pretty soon, one of David's generals show up, and he finds Absalom hanging there, and he put, it says he, they, he pierced him in the heart with this dart three times. Didn't kill him. Because earlier, David said to all his generals, do not kill Absalom. So I'm sure that Joab was feeling like, you know, I'm pretty ticked at this guy, and I'm going to at least make him suffer. But a few minutes later, ten soldiers of Joab show up, and they see Absalom hanging there, and they yank out their swords, and they just hack him to death. And Absalom has died. That's the backstory to our passage. And what I want to share with you, when I pull out my magnifying glasses, is out of 2 Samuel chapter 18, beginning at verse 19 through verse 33. Then Ahimaaz, the son of Zadok, said, Let me run and carry news to the king that the Lord has delivered him from the hands of his enemies. And Joab said to him, you are not going to carry news today. You may carry news on another day, but not today, because the king's son is dead. Then Joab said to a Cushite, Go tell the king what you have seen. The Cushite bowed before Joab and ran, began running. Then Ahimehaz, the son of Zadok, said again to Joab, Come on, come, what may? Let me also run after the Cushite. And Joab said, why will you run, my son, seeing that you have no reward for the news? Come what may, he said, I will run. So he said to him, so Joab said to him, run. Then Ahimehaz ran by the way of the plain and outran the Cushite. Now David was sitting between the two gates and the watchman went up to the roof of the gate by the wall. And when he lifted up his eyes and looked, he saw a man running alone. The watchman called out and told the king, and the king said, well, if he's alone, then there's the news is in his, or there is news in his mouth. And, he's, and he drew nearer and nearer. The watchman saw another man running, and the watchman called to the gate and said, see, another man running alone. And the king said, he also brings news. The watchman said, I think the runner of the first, the, I think the running of the first is like the running of Ahimehaz, the son of Zadok. 
And the king said, he is a good man, and he comes with good news. Then Ahimehaz cried out to the king, all is well. And he bowed before the king and his face to the earth, and he said, blessed be the Lord your God, who has delivered up the men who raised their hand against my lord the king. And the king said, it is well, it, it is, is it well with the young man Absalom? Ahimehaz answered, when Joab sent the king's servant, your servant, I saw a great commotion, but I did not know what it was. He just lied, because he knew what happened. And the king said, turn aside, stand over here. So he turned aside and he stood still. And behold, the Cushite came, and the Cushite said, Good news for my lord the king, for the Lord has delivered you this day from the hand of all that rose up against you. And the king said to the Cushite, Is it well with the young man Absalom? And the Cushite answered, May the enemies of my lord the king and all who rise up against you for evil be like that young man. And the king was deeply moved and went up to the chamber over the gate and wept. And as he went, he said, O my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, would I had died instead of you, O Absalom, my son, my son. Some, some scholars say that is probably the most, the deepest moment of grief in the scripture. Because it's really clear that, at, that David loved his son and wanted a healing to what was going on. But as I was working on this passage, as I was looking at it, what I realized is we have three distinct paths that are all converging in this story. The first is we have a Ahimaaz. Now here's this guy that has this God-given talent that he is gifted in running and he loves to use that. But he has no vision, no purpose. And yet he wants to run. He wants the glory of going for this. But there's nothing he's aiming at. And when I looked at this, I thought, well, some of us run our lives that way. God has put stuff in us, but we never use it, or we hold it back. So I was trying to think about ways of showing you this, and so I thought of this. So if you can see this, this is a piece of work that somebody did for me that has crosses scratched in it. And what I see is Ahimehaz is kind of like this, where you can see that there's a possibility of something, but it's not coming out at you. It's just, it's there, but it's not, it hasn't reached its, its, pull, its full uh, fruition. And so I kind of see that living life and walking and running that path that Ahimehaz does is kind of like God has created something in us but we're just kind of living for ourselves and existing without any direction. Then we have Absalom's path. Now, Absalom's path is very much about himself, isn't it? It's about serving his needs 
his wants, his wishes, his power and control. He wants the glory. He wants to take over. He has little concern for the feelings and needs of anybody else unless it helps him get more power and control. He manipulates, and yet underneath all that is a person that people love, but they can't get close to. Underneath this is a person that is wounded and has never addressed his wounds. He's bitter and angry, resentful, and it sits there. And so it becomes this barrier in his heart to really bond and connect. He can't take in the love of his father. And so when I look at Absalom, I know that he was raised with David and God was there. But Absalom's kind of tucked it away. And it was more important to do it his way and with his power and control. And then we have David's path. David's path isn't about perfection. It's about grace and forgiveness. It's about repentance and changing our life and moving forward towards God and continuing to strive to do that. And I felt that this described a lot more of how, of how David's life is like. And if you look at this, it has a tremendous amount of depth and color and gorgeous beauty. And what's inside David is coming out. What's inside us in Christ comes out like these crosses come out from this. Okay, those three paths converge in this story. And I know that what we all want to do is be here. But we can't take shortcuts to get there. We can't just run the race just because we want to run. We can't just say, well, I'm going to do it on my own and try to get there. The shortcuts are always end up taking us longer always take us down roads that we don't need to be on. So I want to suggest six things that we can do because you've been challenged by the pastors over the last few weeks about doing this life together and in growth, in community, and in serving. What does it mean for us as a body of Christ to walk that path that David was walking? First principle, dig it up. If we don't dig it up, then it just kind of sits in the background. We have to dig it up so that it emerges out of us. What comes out of us is a reflection of what's in us. And it is our responsibility to dig inside of us and find what God created us to be and do. And so that requires that we got to look inward. we got to bring it to the surface, bring it into relationship. Maybe we need a counselor or a mentor to help us in that process, but we need to do that. Being involved in things like small groups or home groups or whatever we get involved in are all part of the process of helping us bring this stuff up. Realize that in this, sometimes when we're bringing this stuff up, we also, when we're digging we also find that there's stuff that has kept our heart buried. 
much like Absalom, well, I put it here, not down there, much like Absalom, who sets God aside because of his bitterness and his wounding. And so what we need to do is learn that we've got to also get rid of the stuff that keeps us burying our hearts and our souls so that we're free to bring out what God intends us to bring out. Now I'm going to forget I put it down here. Second thing, pull the tooth. Part of the process is we don't spend all this time focusing on the negative and negative energy on issues. We either deal with them or we pull the tooth and we move on. If the issues are solvable, then we dig in and we work at it. If they're not solvable, we've got to look at maybe we have to let them go. Maybe we have to do things like forgive or allow grace so that we aren't shoving our hearts down and, and minimizing who God intended us to be. Sometimes pulling tooth can be a little painful too, can't it? But we need to take time to dig, to find out where those, those things are that take a lot of negative energy and do our best to address them or move on from them. Thirdly, play the movie out. Our movies will run no matter what. What's going to happen in our life goes. The, the movie runs. If you look at everything you are doing, choices you're making, people in your life, and you project that out to the end of your life without changing a thing, what do you see? If you don't like what you see, you can always change the plot line, the scenery, the characters, so that it lines up with what you want to be as a, as a Christian walking around here, as a Christian who is seeking to be the salt and the light in the world. What choice I make today, part of playing the movie is recognizing every choice, every action I make today isn't about what happens in the immediate. It's about looking at sowing and reaping, that it's what I plant as seeds today are going to reap down the road. And that becomes a really important principle to paying attention to how to make sure I'm continually changing my path to be in line with what God would want me to be. Fourth principle, act like an ant. You ever have an ant farm? What's an ant do? They're always working for something. They're always moving that grain of sand every single time. And it's all for a purpose. We never get there by just jumping to the end. It's about daily steps, small steps, We've been challenged as a community of faith of what we are going to be in our community and in our neighborhoods as a body of Christ. What impact are we going to have? And so part of this is realizing that we're not going to get there by tomorrow. This is going to be something we do together day in and day out, continuing to listen and pursue God's vision for our church and for us individually and putting those into actions on an everyday step, little step at a time.
That's how we make that big progress. Most of us tend to like to jump and make shortcuts in this process. We don't like to take all those little steps because it takes time, it takes energy. But I don't know about you, but every shortcut always seems to end up being the long road. And so it takes a lot more energy sometimes to do the shortcuts. Okay? Fifth principle is don't play fair. I can guarantee you if you play fair, you and anybody else will lose. Because what playing fair is, I'll love you if you love me. I'll be good to you if you're good to me. I won't be good to you if you're not good to me. I'll treat you bad if you treat me bad. And we do live in a culture that operates that. But if we play fair, we both lose. Because sooner or later, somebody is going to slip and make a mistake in a relationship. So what do we do? Throw it all away? What this principle is about is is do more than what you need to for somebody. David never stopped loving Absalom. David commanded his troops not to kill him because he believed, just like he experienced a turnaround in his life, that Absalom could be turned around too. David didn't play fair. He took a higher road. He didn't, how, how's the statement I wanted to say? He, um, he gave better than he was given. Okay? And it's not about settling scores here. It's about running up the score. It's about making a difference in people's lives because we are compelled to just pour into people. That's why I like It's a Wonderful Life because it's a good example of this man, George Bailey, who lives by these principles of I just want to help people. I just want to be there for people. And I'll sacrifice all kinds of things just to do that. And I'm not looking for anything in return. And yet he was blessed more than anybody he helped because I believe that's how God, God works. And finally, be humble. Now, in Greek, the word humble means to have your feet on the ground. And Ezra Taft Benson says, pride is concerned with who is right. Humility is concerned with what is right. Humble people, and David was one of those, humble people understand that we are all fallen, we're all broken, we all have issues, we've all needed that grace and that forgiveness. And so it's not about judgment and condemnation, but it's about realizing that this is the journey in life and the best gift I can give you is to accept you where you are and support and encourage you to grow. Humility is not having a need to be more than who you are. Not having a need to be more than who you are. What happens here in being humble is we recognize that crises are things to solve and to work through. Conflicts are things to work on and 
and help solve and, and break through. As a, as a counselor, working with couples who are locked in just not knowing how to break through their, what's going on in their marriage, what I often teach is how conflict and crises are often opportunities to deepen your relationship. And that we need to embrace that journey because that's how relationships deepen and grow and become much more than they ever could have been. I know that in our journey, in our marriage, that we both would say, well, we'd go through all that stuff we went through 25 years ago again because of what it made us today, because of what it did inside of us, because of how God took and transformed both of us. So, I know that some of us are really struggling with just knowing that we know that God created us and that we have these gifts and talents in us, but we have no idea what we're doing with it. We have no no vision, no goal of where we're going to go with this. And it just kind of sits there and we just kind of walk through our life, and that's about it. I know that there are some of us who have been wounded and we're bitter and angry, or we've buried parts of ourselves, and we only pull God out when we're really desperate, or when we really don't know what else to do, but most of the time God is stuffed in some pocket someplace. And so we're trying to do this all on our own, all with our own power, and hey, we're having a great time because we're getting to twist people around and do it where we're, we can put a mask on at church and go home and treat our kids badly or treat our spouse mean or whatever we do. But God plays a very minimal part in that. And then I believe that most of us are trying to do this. And what we're trying to do is continually seek to how can we get what God has put inside of me to come out and make a difference for his kingdom. We honestly believe deeply of what God has done by dying on the cross for us. And we know that there's more to this. But sometimes we struggle because we get in our own way. So may I suggest that real life together is partly about all of us together walking alongside each other, listening to one another, supporting one another, encouraging one another, creating space for God's vision to grow in each other so that what we do in our community and in our neighborhoods and in the people that are connected to us in life, that we can, we can be that salt and that light in the world. In a little bit, the prayer partners will be up here. And they're here because they want to be able to pray with you for whatever. But I really encourage you to, to seek to let this shine in your life. And they'd be more than happy to pray with you about and support that journey. So let's, 
Let's pray. Lord God, more than anything, I pray that we can pursue you the way David continually pursued you. That we can be able to be touched by your spirit and your and and led and guided so that we can continue to pursue and grow in the ways that you envision us growing. We pray that you will keep our hearts open and that you will show us the areas of our hearts that need to be cleaned out so that we are free to move in your direction. We pray this in your name. Amen.